0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Now let's go ahead and jump right in. Unless you're brand new here, you know that this is my passive income. And I want to highlight something. Before we get into the five stocks that are the highest cash flow, I want to highlight why I continue to do this style of investing. I've been on YouTube for a while. In fact, I've been on YouTube for over two and a half years now. I've literally done over 170 episodes week by week showing my progress building this portfolio. And over this course of time, I've seen literally every investing strategy. All of them. Hyper growth, hype stocks, buying NFTs and cryptos and altcoins, going into option trading and day trading. Every single thing that you can imagine. I've seen it. I've been exposed to it. But I continue to pick dividend growth investing. And why do I do that? Why do I keep with this strategy after observing every other alternative? And just for a minute, I want to explain why I continue to do this style. Here is a graph of risk from Howard Marks. He outlines what risk is and more importantly what risk isn't. Risk is not a guarantee of higher returns, and that is something that boggles many people's minds. They think that risk is correlated with returns, and that means that if you take on more risk, you will have higher returns. That's kind of true in a sense. In investing, you have to take on some risk in order to earn returns. There's truth there. Stocks are some of the most risky investments historically. They're riskier than things like bonds or savings accounts or even real estate. They're higher risk, but they historically have performed better. So risk, in a sense, leads to higher returns. But what Howard Marks also outlines is that risk is not a guarantee for higher returns. And if taking on additional risk could guarantee higher returns, it wouldn't be risk. If there was a guarantee that risk made higher returns, it would not be risk. What taking on increased risk does is widen the bell curve and the range of possibilities. The distribution of possible outcomes is wider. So not only are you likely to earn more if you take on more risk, but there's a possibility of earning a lot more, of being one of those people on social media that hits it big, of being the Dogecoin millionaire. He took on a lot of risk, And it paid off big for them. Those are the people that are in the top quintile, the ones that have taken on a significant amount of risk and they've hit it big with a company, with a stock, with an investment, with some altcoin. Those are the people that are up there in the top of the bell curve. But then we have the people that are kind of just around the middle. They've taken on more risk, they've held on, and they've made better returns. But then we also have people that have taken on a lot of risk and they're at the very bottom there, they're at the bottom of the bell curve and there's just as many people at the bottom of the bell curve and perhaps even more down there than there are at the top but you don't hear about those people down there as often they're not on social media celebrating their successes so we get the perception that people that are taking on a lot of risk are just reaping all of this reward we see that online all the time the people that hit it big with some risky growth stock they share it on social media the people that fail Most of the time they do so silently. So we're seeing lots of people at the very top that are celebrating their wins. And sometimes it clouds out the fact that when you take on increased risk, you're also increasing the chance of downside. And many people are ending up at the bottom of that bell curve. When I look at this overall chart here, and I look at the range of possibilities, I understand that if you increase risk too much, you're opening yourself up to the possibility of having dramatically bad consequences. And I decided early on that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to forego the opportunity to have this extreme upside in order to avoid the chance of having an extreme downside. I simply decided that that's not acceptable for me. I'm not going to risk my retirement in that way. So rather than going to the utmost extreme on the risk chart here, I've tapered mine back a little bit. I went with a strategy that provides reliable and consistent returns, something that doesn't have the chance of significant downside and that is what dividend growth investing is. And I'm not just talking about picking any random company that pays a dividend. I certainly have never recommended doing that. But investing in high quality, free cash flow positive companies that generate dividends with stable payout ratios has proven to be a very effective strategy over a very long period of time. The Wall Street Journal has an article on why dividend stocks are becoming popular again. And in one part of it, they note the historical outperformance of dividend paying companies over a very long period of time. From 1958 to 2018, a portfolio with the top 20% of S&P 500 companies ranked by dividend yield and weighted by market capitalization outperformed the overall S&P 500 by 2.13 percentage points annually. That is a significant outperformance. 2.13% 2.13% for 60 years. That is an incredible amount of outperformance and it's done on such a consistent basis. So to answer that question of why after all these years, I still stick with dividend growth investing and I haven't ventured off to some other form, it's because of the proven reliability and consistency of the strategy. It's not glamorous, but it works well. Now let's go ahead and jump into my five biggest cash flow payers. I'm gonna be referencing Qualtrum. This is the software that I built. We have the holding waiting here. This is how much money I have invested in every single stock right now. This isn't necessarily how much I have invested, but this is the current holding value. So with Apple, I have $52,000 now. It's gone up around sixteen, dollars maybe $17,000 in value. Then we have JP Morgan, Jepi, SCHD, Disney, Vici, and Microsoft, and so on and so forth. So we can see the holding weighting here. This is how much each holding is in value. But then we have another graph that specifically answers this question of my five biggest dividend paying companies, and that is the income weighting based off the trailing 12 months. And in number one, we have JEPI, the covered call income ETF. This one is a huge dividend payer. The software says that I'm going to earn $1,728 over the next 12 months. Now let me explain how this calculation is done. The first thing that the software does is it looks at the amount of shares. So if I go into Jepi and look at how many shares I have, I currently have 425 shares. Then what the software does is it looks at the most recent dividend payment, which was 34 cents. It looks at the frequency of dividend payments so it knows that it's done at 12 times and then it multiplies all of that together. And that's how we arrive at the 1,729. Now, Jeppy's one that even though we try to project out in the future how much I'm going to earn, I have to say that this one is likely to be somewhat inaccurate. It gives us a rough estimate, but it's not going to be perfect. Because if we go back to the one-year dividend history by JEPI, it's all over the place. It was $0.34 cents last month, but then it was $0.26, cents, $0.31, cents, 37 35 It's just all over the place. So Qualtrum can't really perfectly predict how much this one is going to pay because it's an active strategy. There's two active managers using a covered call strategy, and they don't know how much money they're going to generate every month. It's literally unknown. It depends on different things like the overall volatility of the stock market. So even Even though with Jepi, it's a little bit more unpredictable than other companies that have stable quarterly dividend payments, we still get a rough estimate of how much we're going to earn. For me, it's $1,700. Now, so far, I've been happy with Jepi. It's a monthly dividend payer. It has a very high yield. It does its job of keeping low volatility and a high amount of income. And it does capture some capital gains as well. I'm in the green by $2,700. So it's performed pretty good. But I would have putting all of your money in Jepi because it is an active strategy. It's not quite as proven as having just a basket of dividend payers. That's usually the better route to go over the long term. And I may sell some of this one and dip into this holding if I see something else that I really want to buy. And number two, we have a different category. We have a real estate company. It's one of my newer holdings, which is Vici Properties. This is actually my biggest payer outside of Jepi. Right now, Vici Properties is paying me an estimated $937 over the next 12 months. And that's based off the most recent dividend payment, which is actually a little low because they just announced that they're raising their dividend by 9%. So this is going to go up over time. Now I still remain very bullish on Vici. This is one that I'm very excited about. And I don't mean to give myself credit for this, but I came out with a video on June 25th showing that I'm buying this new high yielding dividend paying stock and it was Vici. And I went over my entire bull case on this company. Since then, two of the biggest authors on Seeking Alpha that specifically cover a lot of REITs have both picked up on this company. Now, I don't know whether they came across the video or whether they just had parallel thinking, but either way, I'm glad that they picked up on this holding because both of them have came to the same conclusion and they're both very bullish on this company. Since that video, both of them have came out with multiple articles talking about the different qualities, many of which we already discussed in many of the videos that I've had covering Vici. One of the authors just recently, just a few days ago, had a written interview with the management of Vici and they highlight a few cool things going on with this company. Ed Petoniak is the CEO of Vici and I want to highlight one thing that he said regarding the growth of this company and the potential returns. He says, I think the other thing that's important to understand within the context of Vici is how much growth is necessary to create continuing shareholder value and what we get compensated for and earn our equity as managers are delivering compounded 12% annual total returns over a rolling three-year cycle. So that's what he's saying that they want to deliver, 12% annualized returns with Vici. A certain amount of that 12% can be our same-store rent growth through escalation, and so the rest of what we're solving is for that 5 to 6% growth. So Ed Petoniak is saying that right there, with just the amount of rent escalation they have and the current cap rates they have, they will earn around 6% just through rent escalation. So what they're trying to solve is that other 5 to 6% based upon accretive acquisition growth. That's what they have to solve for. So even at our large size now, if we can do perhaps between 1 and 1.5 billion of transaction volume each year, we stand a good chance of creating that kind of accretion. And needless to say, if we can deliver you compounded returns each year of 12%, it only takes six years to double your money, which we think is good value for REIT. It's not a meme stock return trajectory, but the whole idea is to just keep going and provide 12% annually. So even the CEO realizes the potential returns for Vici, saying that their goal is to hit 12% annualized return on a three-year rolling basis. And he knows that this is not going to be meme stock trajectory. So again, if you're looking for those outrageous returns, you have to focus on a different strategy. This isn't it. This isn't what I'm focusing on. When I put twenty dollars or $30,000 into a holding, I want attractive returns. And I think that 12% annually for a REIT is very attractive. So Vici is number two, and that's with $937. Next up, we have Store Capital, one of my favorite companies that I have an estimated $750 of income over the next 12 months. Now, let me just say with Store Capital, that this is an easy buy for me. This is one that I bought while things were still scary during the pandemic and Store Capital seemed like one of those companies that was in trouble far more than they were actually in trouble. And that's where you can find value. If people are predicting doom and gloom about a company that doesn't really exist and you've done enough research to know that a lot of the doom and gloom is overstated, that's where you can find a huge discrepancy in the fair price of a company and what it's currently trading at and that was the case with store capital it was an easy buy now what really convinced me to buy this company at the time and a lot more of it was the ceo of the company i realized that every ceo is bullish on their company every one of them talks glowingly about their company and i've heard many bull cases from different ceos but this article here a case for store by christopher volk is one of the most incredibly informative enlightening and impressive articles from any company, from any CEO, about their company. Christopher Volk, first of all, I think is incredibly intelligent. And if you haven't read this article, I recommend that you do. I don't know how to accurately describe this post by Volk Other than a masterclass in how REITs work, how this entire business works, finding market efficiencies, creating alpha, having a fundamentally based growth plan, uh, making a moat, making it so competitors can't take over. This is such an incredible and enlightening piece of work. And I recommend that everybody that's interested in investing in REITs read this. Even if you're not invested in Store Capital specifically, I think this is worth your time. It's like getting a lecture from Harvard or Columbia, but I think it might be even better because it's by someone that's very experienced and knowledgeable in the specific industry. I remain very bullish on Store Capital. In fact, so much that recently over the past couple of months I've increased my holding on this company because I still think this company, at least relative to the rest of the market, is pretty good value right now. So store capital's number three, and in number four, we have my favorite dividend-paying ETF, which is SCHD. It has an estimated $691 over the next 12 months. SCHD is in the income fund category because it's an ETF that provides a lot of good income. But I'll also note that the majority of returns from SCHD is not from dividends even though it pays a roughly 3% dividend yield, the majority of returns have still come from capital appreciation. Now, I haven't held this one for a long time. So I'm currently just a hair into the green 1.6%, but I haven't received any dividend payments, which a large portion of the returns are going to be from those dividend payments and the compounding effect that has. But over time, this is just one of those ETFs that's really easy to buy into. If I don't find any company with specific value then I just throw some money into SCHD. I don't have to think about it. And this is one that I can invest in and sleep very well at night. Now, one thing I'll mention about SCHD is because it focuses on companies that are very conservative, that have a history of paying dividends for over 10 years, it has much more conservative metrics. For instance, if we look at the PE ratio, it's 19 right now with the S&P 500 at 22. So overall, the companies in the CTF are trading at a lower PE ratio, but they're also trading at a lower price to book ratio. And price to cash flow ratio. It's much lower than the rest of the market. So the CTF does have a lot more conservatively valued companies trading at lower multiples, which might be something to consider if you're worried about market valuations. Now, moving on to number five, we have JP Morgan with an estimated $601 over the next 12 months, which means that I receive $150 every quarter. Now, of course, JP Morgan is in the fintech and banking category. This is a company that I bought in the peak fare of banks during 2020. And since then, I haven't done any buys in any companies in this category. I've completely avoided all the financial sector and buying any of these. I just haven't seen a lot of good value since then. If we go back to my holding weighting graph, we can see that JP Morgan is already my second biggest holding. It's a very significant holding in my portfolio already, and I'm not as bullish on it as a company like Apple. I don't think that JP Morgan is going to grow and expand and become more present and more important in people's lives like I do Apple. So as of right now, JP Morgan for me is a hold. So there you have it. These five companies make up a big portion of my overall income, And I'm going to continue to find more companies to add to this dividend growth. And of course, I reinvest all the dividends. Now, if you're interested in using this software specifically, it's included as part of the Patreon. So not only do you get the Discord community exclusive episodes, but you also get this software included, which gives you all these projections and graphs to use. So if you're interested in using this, you can join the Patreon. It's a lot of fun. There's a link in the description or it's patreon.com slash Joseph Carlson. But that's all for today. I'll see you in the next episode.